we know that you love us. We love you too. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to down a cross just for us. While yet we're still caught in our sins, Lord, as trespassers, you sought to reconcile us back to you through your son, Jesus Christ, and for that we say thank you. So, Father, Lord, as we get ready to hear your word, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you just touch all of our hearts and our minds of understanding. We pray that our hearts of hearts of flesh and fruitful, uh, ready to multiply and to go out to others and to spread this great news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. So have your way in this place. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I'd like to say, truly, it is always an honor to come to bring forth the word of God uh, right here to Church of Chicago. I think it's a great thing that Pastor Spencer and the First Lady, uh, that they can go away for a couple of weeks at a time and know that everyone that's in ministry here uh, and, and you um, can continue on to do the work of the Lord. Uh, it, it, it is a... Uh, it is a great honor uh, for a pastor. He tells me this all the time for, for, for a pastor to be able to do that. And that is a testament to all, to all of you. So thank you so much uh, for continuing on the work uh, as pastor and the first lady uh, out in the mission field um, doing what he, uh, they had called them to do. I want all of us to get our Bibles and turn to Colossians. I believe after coming after uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, this passage of scripture doesn't somewhat sum it up, but what it does is give us a, a little bit of insight on what we should be doing. And it's kind of like a two-part, but what, what we do in front of others and what we do not in front of others, what we do internally and what we do in front of others. So I want all of us to turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 6. Verses 2 and 6, Colossians written by Paul, while yet he was still in prison. Before we get to that, I did a little research about what prison life was like during that time, during Paul's time. And I really believe in my heart that if Paul went to the Cook County Jail and he saw the conditions that they lived in, I believe after researching how, how the jail conditions then, he looked at how it is now, I believe he would tell them, you guys basically are living in a country club. It's a country club. You have people that you, you have controlled temperature. You have someone to give you, you know, three square meals a day. You, you know, you have a relatively decent place to lay your head down. Uh, but back then, you know, Paul, I mean, it just amazes when you think about the conditions that he was writing these beautiful letters from encouraging, always encouraging others and, and giving instruction and encouraging under those conditions, in jail, waiting for death. <laughs> and it just amazes me uh, how God can just really touch our hearts and have us focus, keeping the main thing the main thing, and have a cheerful heart under the, can be some, some very hard circumstances. Today we're gonna talk about living our mission before the world. And it's kinda like a two-part process, and you know, the first part is internally, and the second part, what the, what the world sees. So Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 6, 
Go ahead and read and see what Paul has to say in this passage. He says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So my aim today is to give some practical help from our text on how we should pray more faithfully and to bear witnesses more effectively. How we can do that both internally and how we can do that externally that the world sees. The connection between these two areas is that a private life of prayer is the foundation for a public life of effective witness. A private life of prayer is the foundation for a public life of effective witness. In a private life, we should supposed to devote ourselves to prayer. In public, be a godly witness for Jesus Christ. In private, we must be persistent and watchful. Thankful prayer. And in public, we are to be wise in our conduct, in our conduct and effective in our words so that we might be effective witnesses of Christ. I know I said a lot there, but we're going to just kind of dissect this real briefly today using this passage of Scripture. So in private, Paul, what he does is he encourages us to devote yourself to prayer. And emotionally healthy spirituality, we, many of us, it was a challenge just to sit down for like two minutes or to find that time to do what they call our daily offices. A lot of us had that testimony. Well, a lot of times it's because we're just so busy. We're just, we have so many things coming at us, you know, with work, children, home, you name it. You know, there's just so many things that just occupy our time. So we need to devote ourselves to prayer. And I like that. I like what Joseph, he kind of reiterated, said, you know, you know just, just for like two minutes, two minutes. And that really helped me out, too. I wasn't consistent like I, like I really wanted to, and I'm still working at it. And if I can just be uh, transparent with you also, but I feel myself a little bit more and more just finding two minutes just, just to be quiet. And in that quiet time, it's like a sense of prayer also. And just listening to the Lord and, 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 and as we're just internalizing things, speaking back to him. And this is what Paul, uh, Paul is encouraging us. He says to continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That means uh, uh, that we need to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, too, he says, also pray for us so that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison that he may make it clear on how to speak. So first Paul tells us how to pray. He then tells us what to pray for. He tells us what to pray for. So how to pray? He tells us to pray persistently, watchfully, and thankfully. Devote yourselves is often used in connection with prayer. Acts chapter 1 says that the early disciples before Pentecost they were all in one mind, and they were continuously, they were devoting themselves in prayer. The early, the early part, they were continually devoting themselves in prayer. 
after the day of Pentecost, we read uh, later on that they were continually devoting themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they were devoting themselves to these things. So Paul cites his own examples of his uh, persistent prayer. He says, let me give an example of persistent prayer. He did that right in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, we always thank God. This is what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Gives him their own example, right, right in chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then he adds in, and you go down just a little bit further in verse 9, he goes on, he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So here again, you just go down to verse 9, he says, we have not ceased praying for you. Now remember, Paul is in prison. Not knowing what's going to happen to him, just knowing that, you know, he may be sentenced to death. But yet, he's still devoted to prayer. And not only is he praying for himself, as I'm sure he was, but he was devoting himself, praying for the church at Coloss. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives a brief command. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I'll go ahead and read. It says this, pray without ceasing. Without ceasing does not mean praying nonstop every minute of the day, which would be impossible. He's not saying that, you know, every minute of the day, every second of the day, he's not saying that you should be doing that. Rather, it means coming back to prayer again and again. Coming back to prayer again and again. So, yes, you know, Paul is, you know, he, he knows that we just can't pray every second, every minute of the day but encouraging us to continually to remind ourselves to come back to prayer again and again and again. Jesus also taught persistent prayer. Yes, Jesus, he also taught persistent prayer in two parables. Uh, in the first one, in Luke uh, chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, I'm going to give a brief synopsis of it. A guy and his family are in bed at night, and his friends begins banging on the door, asking to borrow some bread for a visiting guest. The guy in bed tells him to go away, but the guy won't quit knocking. So finally he gives, gets up and gives him what he's asking for. At first he's like, no, 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 but he keeps knocking, and the friend gets up and gives him the bread. Another example is in Luke chapter 18. I want us to go there, and I want us to read this together. Let's turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I want us to read this together about persistent prayer. This is what Jesus talks about. This is what Jesus is talking about, persistent prayer. Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I want us to actually read this together because I really want us to seek in about persistent prayer. Because a lot of people say, well, I've heard people say, once you pray to God once, you don't have to pray to, to him no more because he already knows. But Jesus himself teaches about persistent prayer. Let's see what Jesus talks about. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse, verse 1 through 8. We're going to read it together as a family. Okay, family? Let us begin. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city 
who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not give God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So here, right here, Jesus is teaching about persistent prayer. How even the unrighteous judge, after being uh, uh, summoned and, and, and asking and asking, he gives what is requested. So how much more of our Father in heaven who loves us, he's elect his very own. How much more will he do for us if we have persistent prayer? So yes, we do need to devote our lives to prayer. Some people, you know, say, well, I've already prayed once. No, we are to, God wants that consistent contact, that consistent connection with us. So Jesus taught us consistent prayer many times all throughout his ministry. The point of both parables is not that God is unwilling or unconcerned about our needs, but rather we should persist in asking him until he grants our requests. So yes, he is concerned. He is willing. But he wants us to continue to come before him. We should also pray watchfully, keeping alert, as our scripture says may also be translated as staying watchful. It is often used in the context of, of mentioning the adversary, of, of being watchful. When we, when we see that term here, it's always being a, a, a watching out for the adversary, the devil, as we all know. Acting urging, us to, acting urging us to cast all our anxieties before the Lord because he cares for us. Peter exhorts us, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversaries, as Pastor Spencer has been teaching us, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus tells us to be on alert regarding his second coming. He tells us, watch out, I come as a thief in the night. Be watchful. In the garden, just before his arrest, he told the disciples, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me ask you this. If we knew that a dangerous lion had escaped in Oakland this Sunday morning and the, and the Oakland police had said it was last seen on Costner Street, we'd be very watchful before we left the church, right? We'd be watching out, right? How many here would be watchful? We'd be watchful. Well, a dangerous lion is on the loose. He is on the loose in our area. And not just on Sunday mornings either. And not just on Sunday morning, but all the time. So prayer is how we stay on the alert against this unseen but frightening enemy called the devil, the adversary, the one who wants to destroy us. And so therefore, God, Paul, he gives us the, uh, uh, a warning that we, when we pray, we should be watchful. Because the devil would want to sift us up. He wants us, uh, the devil would love for us to discontinue this prayer life. 
to, to keep us unconnected with God, to keep us unaware so that he may, so that he may uh, have us lose our testimony. And that is what he wants to do. Paul also tells us to pray thankfully. To pray thankfully is to pray in faith. Someone say, in faith. Especially when our circumstances often do not seem to be in our favor. A lot of times it, it, it is hard to pray thankfully when, when it looks like it's, you know, our backup is against the wall. This, it doesn't look good for the home team, as uh, people would say. You know, per, perhaps some, you know, maybe one of us lost a job or we got a pile of bills due or maybe your teenager is acting up and running around with the wrong crowd. Your doctor may have just diagnosed you with some type of uh, disease that is very hard to manage with a serious illness, whatever the overwhelming trial is, it does, it takes faith to pray. It does. It takes faith to pray, especially given uh, with these hard circumstances. I know many of us can think of some very hard circumstances or situations um, that we need the Lord to really answer some prayers. But we need to pray thankfully, and this is what Paul, he's encouraging us to do. Who else better to, to say that for somebody who's doing it, he's doing it right then and there. He's in prison under the worst of circumstances, you know, barely getting enough to eat, doing some research, people in prison many times, um, if your loved ones or friends didn't know that you were in prison, you would almost starve to death, death. And so therefore your friends and family members, they would actually have to bring you some daily portions to the prison to eat. They weren't obligated to feed you. It was a very difficult try, you know, time. They didn't have uh, temperature controlled places. If it's cold, it's just cold. If it's extremely hot, it's just it's very extreme conditions. Not knowing that you're going to, you know, the, you know the, uh, the emperor can just order your head cut off at any time. So I think that's just amazing that he was an appropriate person to tell us to pray thankfully, even given the most hardest and most overwhelming circumstances. It takes faith to pray. Lord, thank you for this trial. And I know that's a hard thing to say, to pray, to say, Lord, thank you for this trial. Let's just be honest. That's a lot of times, that's a difficult thing to do because I know that it's not difficult. I know that you are for me and you intended to work out together for my good. We have to believe in faith. You will use this to strengthen my faith. And that's what we need to do when, we, when we're given these hard circumstances. Just realize that this is used to strengthen our faith. So that when we, you know, so that, you know, we need to pray thankfully. And Paul is encouraging us that he's doing it in real time for these people. And who, like I said, it's better to do that for someone who is going through a difficult time. And he's actually doing it. He's thankfully thanking the people for, for, their, for, uh, for the help that he's getting. He's thanking them for the work that they're doing. He hears the good news that they're doing. And he's thanking them. And he's, thank, he's thankfully, thankfully and thanking and thanking. All through his he says, I thank my God for this. I thank my God, Lord Jesus. I thank my, if you look through his epistle, he's always praying thankfully. And who of us who have some, some bills to pay, you know, some, some, some weird circumstances going on, we too should just be like that and we should pray thankfully. What to pray for? What to pray for? So now we know how to pray, but what specifically should we pray for? This is that part, I know we're talking about living our life before the world, but it kind of starts internally. Just like we did before, we just took the, the two minutes of silence of prayer, so what to specifically pray for? Pray for God's kingdom to expand through the, uh, through the spread of the gospel. Paul goes on to ask for prayer, first of all, for himself. And so we should be praying for other saints. He's saying, hey, pray for me. 
So not only should we just be praying for ourselves, we should be praying for other people. He says he asks for prayer for himself. He says, if you were in prison unjustly for the sake of the gospel and, and sent out a prayer letter, it would probably include this. If we were to send out a letter, it would probably like, pray that I get out of here real soon. And, you know, just think about it. If, if we were writing a letter to somebody, hey, pray that I get up out of here. Pray that justice, hey, when I go to court, that the judge would have mercy upon me. But Paul, in effect, he, he says that he prays that God's kingdom come. He says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open, us, open up a door for us for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison. He's been in prison for, for preaching God's word, for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And he want, he's also says, he says, pray so that I may make it clear so I ought to what to speak. I, I need to know, he says, pray for me so when I do encounter these prison guards, when do people come visit me, that I may bring the mystery of Christ clearly to the people who I come in contact with. And we should be doing the same thing, praying for us that when an opportunity arises, that we can bring forth the gospel clearly to the people that we come in contact with. The mystery of Jesus Christ. Praying for God's kingdom to expand involves praying for the workers, for open doors, for, uh, for the gospel clarity. Right here at the Church of Chicago, we have several opportunities for an opportunity to spread the good news with clarity. We have different things. When we, when we, did, uh, uh, when we had the uh, Red Cross come out uh, for the blood drive, you know, uh, when we do big city extravaganza, when we do basketball camp, when we do the Christmas arts festival, we should be praying for these things because you know what? These are opportunities for us to spread the gospel. These are opportunities for us to have an open door for people to come to Christ. Not sure if you know this, at Big City Extravaganza, on Halloween, eight people gave their lives to Christ. And that was because of the work of, that was done right here at the Church of Chicago. We took advantage of an opportunity. And Paul is also praying for the opportunity, and he's also praying that we have that open door opportunity to present the gospel. So praying for the workers. This includes those that will be called on the front lines, those who are engaged in full-time ministry, our pastors, associate pastors, all these different people uh, that are dedicated their lives to bringing forth the gospel, uh, spreading the good news. But it also includes all believers. Everyone say all believers. That we, should, that we will all keep our focus on lost souls and not get distracted with all the worldly stuff that is so easy, especially this time of year, the Christmas holidays, right? Because we're inundated with all these commercials and all these online advertisements, all these different pressures. I got to get this person, I got to get this person, I got to do this, I got this event to go to, I got this to go to. So many things to distract us. But what we should be doing also along, and we know that's just part of the culture that we are here in the Western culture. Yes, we understand that. But at the same time, we need to be aware of the different opportunities to present the gospel. There's just so many things that, that, just, that just many times that clouds our mind. And so we should be praying for each other, each other. Everyone say each other. I should be praying for you and you and you and you. It's not just Pastor Spencer. It's just not uh, Elder White. It's just not Pastor Scott. It's all of us. We should be seeking an opportunity to bring God's good news with clarity. So we should be praying for open doors for the gospel. 
Even someone as gifted as Paul could not open his own doors for the gospel. He didn't rely on clever methods or salesmanship techniques uh, to get an opening. Rather, he relied on God to open the doors. God must open the doors for witnesses, but, when we, but what we need to do is walk through them when God opens it. When God opens the door and we share the gospel, it is, a, it is powerful to save souls and it transforms their hearts. So pray for yourself and for others in this church that God would open up doors for the gospel. So we also be praying for clarity in presenting the gospel. Everyone say clarity. clarity. This is Paul. The, Paul, the apostle who wrote 13 New Testament letters, including Romans, asking for prayer that he would be clear in presenting the gospel. He's, this is the one he, he wrote, 80% of the New Testament, and he's asking to pray for him for clarity in presenting the gospel. So we also should be asking for prayer for presenting uh, the gospel with clarity, using our own personality, using our own. And I love that about God. He uses your own personality. He uses your different experiences. And he uses the way that he has touched your heart. I can't be Apostle Paul. I can't be Pastor Spencer. But I can be Brother Scott with my own personality and the way that God has made me to present in the gospel. And the same thing goes on for each and every one of you. That we should be praying for clarity. That God bring it clear, you know, clear when I, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, wherever we may be. We should be looking and asking for God to, yes, use this opportunity to present the gospel with clarity. He refers to it as the mystery of Christ for which he has been in prison. He does not mean that the gospel is mysterious or difficult to understand. Rather, mystery refers to a truth that, previous, that was previously unknown, but it has now been revealed. It can't be known by human wisdom, but only by God's spirit. It is, it is especially referred to the truth that salvation, which has previously been revealed only to the Jews, was now available to everyone, who now can enjoy right standing and equal access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. Everyone say that. Faith alone in Christ alone. Did you know the good news, the gospel, it actually starts off with bad news. Our sins have alienated us from God. Our sins have alienated us from God, whether we like it or not. That was the bad news. Because he is holy and just. God is holy and just. God cannot just brush our sins away. The penalty must be paid. God has declared that the penalty of our sins is death, eternal separation from him. No amount of good works can pay that penalty, but we cannot do God did. What we cannot do, God did. God did it in love. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. His death on the cross was substitutionary. He paid the debt that sinners deserve. He paid the death that sinners deserve, which was all of us. Everyone say all of us. God raised Jesus from the dead and now offers a full pardon and eternal life to every sinner who will, in turn, who will turn from his sins and trust in the risen Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. That is the good news. And this is what Paul wants us to do, to be able to present the gospel with clarity to everyone that we have an opportunity to do this with. Praying for God's kingdom to expand through the gospel does not mean that we cannot pray for our personal needs. He's not saying, uh, you know, you don't have to pray for your personal needs. We do that every Sunday. We pray for personal needs of all of us in here. We all have personal needs that are, that are very real and, are, and, are, and, and need God's solution to. 
So he's not saying that we're not supposed to uh, pray for our personal needs. Jesus instructed us to pray for our daily bread, for our forgiveness of sins, and for personal holiness. But before we bring these needs to God in prayer, we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I encourage each and every one of us, everyone say us, encourage each and every one to pray persistently, watchfully, and thankfully for Christian workers, for open doors, for the gospel, for clarity, for all of us. To put it another way, talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. I'll say that again. Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God, but then talk to people. This is what we must be doing. And so part two of this is in, in our scripture here is in public, in public. In public, we should be God, a godly witness for Jesus Christ. There are two parts of this, your walk and your words, your walk and your words. Colossians 4, verse 5, this is what he says. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Conduct yourselves literally is walk. A favorite metaphor that Paul uses, you know, as he prayed, he would say something that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus is Lord, so walk in him. So Paul uses this term walk, walking, walking. So to walk with wisdom towards outsider means to base your daily life on the wisdom found in God's word. I'm going to say that again. To walk in wisdom means to walk towards outside in a manner that bases our daily life on the wisdom found in God's word. How do we walk? Based upon God's word. God's word. This is why God loved us so much and he gave us his word so that we know how to walk. Both in the Old Testament and New Testament. Wisdom comes from the word skill. Everyone say skill. Just as like a carpenter has the skill to take rough material and craft it into something, a beautiful piece of furniture or, or, or anything that he's trying to build. Spiritual wisdom is the skill to build a beautiful, godly life. Proverbs 9 and 10 states this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In Colossians 2 and 3, Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's also exhorting us to live, to let the word of Christ richly dwell upon us. To, to walk with wisdom toward outsiders means that we are to live in line with God's word. So that those who are not Christians will see the beauty of Christ in our lives. That gives us a platform to tell them the good news that Jesus has changed our lives. That's what gives us the platform to talk about it, and that's our life. A godly walk is the foundation for an effective witness. That's this two-part that, we that Paul is talking about, of walking in this, and then we're able to talk about our witness. Also a part of our godly walk is making the most of the opportunity. When God opens the door, we should walk through it. And when we say walk through it, the Greek word that I had opportunity to look at it means to, to, to buy up or, or grab the opportunity. You buy it up or you, you take advantage of an opportunity. You know, so some of us, you know, we, you know, we go to a sale and we see the product that we want and it's on sale. We hurry up and get it before it goes, what, off a of sale, right? 
Or you may see a business person, you know, who's in, in investments, and he see a piece of property, whatever investment opportunity, and it's below value. What is he going to do? He or she's going to do? They're going to take advantage of what? The opportunity. And that's what we as Christians should be doing, making a good investment to take advantage of the opportunity when it's presented before us. The minute we see it, we should take it before that opportunity is gone. A lot of times we're going to encounter people and we may just meet that person for one time and they ask a question or they uh, or you may have asked them a question or a conversation ensues. You may not ever get a chance to see that person ever again. And so therefore we need to be mindful of that, making best use of the opportunity. In John 4, there's a contrast between Jesus and the disciples with regard to the woman at the well. We all know the story about the woman at the well. Jesus saw her as a lost soul who needed the living water that he alone could give her. That's what Jesus saw. And he had, a, and he had what, they call, what they call a harvest mindset. He saw the field as, 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 as ready to be harvested. But the disciples was focused on getting Jesus to eat his lunch so that they can get on with their journey. So he's focusing on her and, and what her needs was, and they're just focusing on Jesus just getting to the next place. So Jesus made the most of the opportunity to which the disciples totally missed, and which is a, a tip, uh, 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 one of the main things that Jesus wanted us to do is to take advantage of the opportunity. The foundation for buying the opportunities for witness is prayer for God to open the doors for the word. Pray for God to give you the gospel opportunity with people you have frequent contact with. The second he opens the door, we need to be ready to go and go through it. Last point. Effective words are the means for effective witness. Colossians 4 and 6 says this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In light of Paul's repeated emphasis on grace, this probably means that our presentation of the gospel should be permeated with God's grace. So when we're presenting the gospel, when we're talking to people, our heart should be that of grace to the people that we're talking to, God's grace. The message that he gives salvation as a free gift to sinners who deserves his judgment. Since most people think that we can earn salvation by our good works, it's really important to make sure that they understand that salvation is by grace alone, apart from any works. Apart from any works. But also letting our speech always be with grace includes speaking graciously to others. As a sinner who received grace, you don't speak in a condescending or condemning manner to another sinner. We are to sometimes be kind and humble, letting the other person know that we're all sinners who would be on, our, on the way to hell. We are not, were it not for God's grace, sharing the gospel would be like uh, one beggar uh, telling another beggar where to get free bread from. We should be that same way, telling them, hey, this, hey, I'm just like you. This is, this is where we need to go. We should be interesting as we present the gospel. And Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. He doesn't mean uh, to use salty language. We know what that means. Uh, like some people say, you know, curse like a sailor. No, he's not talking about that. Salt had two main uses back in Paul's time. So let's get a little context here. Salt had two main uses during Paul's time when he says, let our speech be seasoned with salt. 
In Paul's day, salt was used as a preservative from spoilage. You know, they would have meat, they would pour salt on it uh, in order to preserve the meat, uh, to keep it from spoiling, which implies that our speech should be pure and free from corruption. It should show those whose lives are spoiled due to sin, now they can be restored through the gospel. But also, salt was used as a spice. It was used to make food tastier, just like we use salt today, to make the food taste a little bit better. Our presentation of the gospel should stimulate people's taste, and it should want more. We should learn some helpful illustrations, maybe, to help us explain the gospel, to explain what it means to believe in Jesus. You can talk about the difference between believing in a plane will fly and actually getting on a plane, because there is a difference. To believe the gospel is to entrust your eternal destiny, destiny completely over to Jesus, his death on the cross for our sins. He doesn't need your help flying the plane. You just need to get on board. And that is what we need to be doing. Being speech that is salty, that is interesting, that is, that is inviting, that make the people want to want more. Of course, we can't be successful in doing that because the enemy is also at, at taking a hand at us. But we need to do what we're called to do. Paul says this. He says that we need to know how we should re respond to each person. This is where we must be careful about using like what they call a memorized presentation of the gospel. Because such presentations are helpful as a general plan, but we need to tailor it to each person. One person may need to understand sin and judgment, but the next person may need to hear about God's abundant grace for sinners who repent. Just like Jesus, he dealt with people in different situations. Well, many times Jesus was very harsh and hard on the Pharisees and Sadducees, and other times he would just be so compassionate as he saw a person contemplate the sin that they found themselves in. And so therefore, there isn't just a set way that we interact with each person. As we get to know people, we, we know that some people probably need a little bit of harsh talk, while other people, they need that soft, gentle, loving uh, um, care that God uh, has for us. And so therefore, we need to be sensitive, and we need to know how to answer each person. And so Paul, what he wanted to do is, he wanted us to live our life before the world, but yet it needed to start with the, in, with the inward part of us, and that is through inward prayer. Prayer for ourselves, prayer for others, prayer for the gospel, prayer for opportunity. And then our walk should be consistent with what the word of God, and he was encouraging us to walk with what the word of God told us. And as we, and as we live this walk, we should also be talking what our walk says. The two should not be different. Our walk should match the talk, and our talk should match the walk. And I encourage each and every one of us to do this as we live out our testimony. We just came out of emotionally healthy uh, spirituality, and I think that was a great thing, and it touched upon all of this. It touched upon all of this. And I just wanted to encourage each and every one of you today to do what God called us to do, and that is to go and make disciples. Here Paul has just given us some techniques on how we should do this. We need to be praying steadfastly. That means be persistent in our prayer, praying for ourselves. And as we're praying, we need to be praying for other saints too. Because guess what, saints? We're in this together. We're in this together. And so I, I'm going to be praying for you, and I hopefully you're praying for me, and we're all praying for each other consistently, steadfastly, and I'm praying that we all walk what this word has us to walk. And then our talk matches it. That we be gracious. And that we ought to have a proper answer for our calling. 
And so therefore, this is why we should pick up our Bible and do devotions so that we can also get a better understanding of the calling that we have. And as we get a better understanding, we can make the gospel clear to those 